0: I can't promise that the lame jokes are over. So please continue to hold your laughter. Um, It is an honor to be with this chapter of NCS. It's an honor to be in any chapter of NCS. But when I've told people that I'm coming to Bergen County, they all kind of go, oh, wow. And they say one thing about how famous you are, and it's your breakfast. So congrats for that. Um, you're, You're nailing the mark there. But judging by the quality of men in the room, um, as Andy put it, uh, it's more than just a breakfast, and so it's, it's a gift to be with you all. Um, you know, Andy mentioned the, the NCS National Retreat. Um, NCS is special to me because about six years ago, that National Retreat was kind of a hinge point in my life. Um, I was transitioning between churches, and a friend brought me to that retreat, and a speaker named Kurt Thompson was there, and he spoke about shame and guilt and the level of healing that that talk brought to me and the journey of healing it set me on uh, was transformative and so for those of you who have not fully invested into ncs um, i challenge you to do that i challenge you to go on the national retreat Um, there's special things that happen when you set aside time for god to move um, in your life and so that's ultimately what i hope happens this morning that you set aside this morning and god meets you where you are Um, and hopefully you consider why did God bring you here. So Andy mentioned um, lame jokes that I never ever told. Um, A little bit of my background, I was a civil engineer, I did urban planning um, in Austin, Texas, um, the great nation that it is, Um, and I left engineering to become a pastor in New York City just like everyone does. and i was a pastor for 12 years along the way i started a coaching practice that combined kind of that strategy mind with the personal care um, to be come alongside of leaders to help them reach their full potential Uh, but over the last five years i was at a church that really changed my life in an area of generosity which has led me where i'm at today with generous life and i'm the generosity new york director and i'm helping us expand across different cities to spur a movement of generosity And that's what I want to talk about today is generosity. It's giving. And for some of you, generosity is a core value. And so what I hope today happens is you become bold about your generosity, that you own it as a value, you own it as a vision for your life, and it becomes something that you can speak of casually when no one really wants to talk about money in general. But for others of you, I want to challenge you uh, that most of what you have been taught about giving inside and outside the church I believe, has been wrong and short-sighted. So I want to challenge and encourage you to reconsider what you believe to be God's call and generosity for your life and begin to open up that there may be more than you've ever realized before. And really, it's come down to one core idea that I want to present to you today is that God wants you to give for your own good. He loves that your giving is good for others. But the core of God's call on your life and generosity, he's calling you to do it because you know it's, it's good for you. And so as I unpack generosity, I, I don't want to tell you what to think, but I do want to give you a lot to think about and a lot to consider going forward. And so for the last five years, I was a pastor at Lower Manhattan Community Church down in Tribeca. And this idea of giving was something that we didn't just develop theologically from the scriptures, but we sought to live it out. And living in that community is what truly taught me what generosity could be and what could be possible if you begin to take God at his word in doing so. The history of the church is that it actually started after 9-11. 2003, it was planted after a group of people that were serving the relief efforts, serving the frontline workers, just prayed and said, if this city is going to be rebuilt, if this neighborhood is going to be rebuilt, what if a church was a part of that rebuilding process? So it started as Mosaic Manhattan. And like many churches, it went through its highs and lows, and it almost closed in 2009. And they brought in a new pastor, he replanted it, called it Lower Manhattan Community Church, and they couldn't even pay him. He was finishing law school while leading the church, like everyone does. And the church was in debt, $25,000. And the first offering was simply to get out of debt, and the goal was $25,000, and they brought in sixty. dollars 12 years later, my last year at LMCC, the offerings came in at $6.4 million. 100 times difference over 12 years, even though the church only grew by 10 times, which means that those inside the church, their level of growth in generosity exceeded the level of growth within our community. See, many of us could be able to tell stories of each other as a result of that, and one of my favorite stories is my friend Ricky. Ricky and his wife, Hannah, uh, they joined the church right after they got married in 2008. And that first offering, they decided to empty their savings. And like young newlyweds, that was very little. It was $500. But they said, every year, we're just going to empty that savings account for the offering. Now, for the first few years, $500, $1,000, a few thousands, that's not huge. They can make up that money. They got decent jobs in Manhattan. That's not going to be hard for them. But it gets hard when that number reaches six figures. And it got really hard when that number reached over half a million. And then it got really hard when that was right at a million. When God begins to open up your capacity to give, he gets excited about testing what you're willing to give. And so that was Ricky and Hannah's journey. And what coincided with that is a career trajectory that doesn't make sense for his background a family that has been transformed that doesn't make sense based on their background. See, because God loves to use giving as a tool to change people. Mainly, he it as a tool to change those who give. And so, as I kind of unpack what we wrestled with, I'm really trying to try to answer four questions that we tend to ask around giving. Why give? What are you supposed to give? Where are you supposed to give? And how are you supposed to give? So starting with why give. Now, for those of you who are attached to charities or attached to things that you love, there's a number of reasons why you give to that. It could be that you love the person leading it. It could be you love the cause. But what I'm talking about is why are you generous in your giving? What motivates you to give at its core? For some of us, uh, we're motivated because of the idea that, well, that's what good people do. We have a religious motivator, that it's not about giving for our own good, it's giving because we think we are good, and so we want to participate in something that we see as a noble cause. For others of us, we give, if we're honest, out of fear, especially in relations to God, because we're afraid that if we don't kind of give what he asks, that like, he's just going to take it all away. Um, we just have a very poor view of God as a father in that regard. But what you begin to do is you explore the scriptures and look behind what God is commanding, you discover a God that is really interested in your good. And so every time he calls people to give, he's motivated by them experiencing his goodness. All the scriptures that you hear about it. He says, test me. Test me when it comes to your giving. Will I not just open the storehouses of heaven and pour it out on you? That doesn't sound like a father excited to take away. It sounds like a father that can't wait to give more. See, he is so interested in your own good that he calls you to actions that are ultimately for your good. And giving is the same one. See, Jesus, after kind of honing in on your own good in regards to giving, made the famous statement that you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and you'll hate the other, and you cannot serve God and money. And what struck me recently as I was looking at that is that he could have said anything. You cannot serve God and pleasure. You cannot serve God and comfort, God and family, God and country, God and money. And he did that because he knows what a lot of us know is that money talks. Money speaks. Money speaks loudly in many of our minds. But sometimes money speaks subtly in the form of lies. And the actual, like we translate that money, but the actual translation is a word mammon. And mammon was the name of a spiritual being, a God. And Jesus uses that to say spiritual beings talk to us. And so the question that you have to consider is how is money talking to you? And money rarely tells the truth. Money loves to lie to us in the form of anxiety saying you don't have enough. And you won't unless you do X, Y, Z. Money lies to us to say, compare yourself. You're not really wealthy until you get to that corner office. You're not really wealthy until you get to that corner house. Money lies to you by comparison. Money lies to you to hide that spending from your spouse because she may not be able to handle it slash you can't handle that conversation. Money lies to us. And so what i want you to consider is how is money lying to you how is money lying to you money could be lying to you saying you're generous enough you don't have to consider greater levels of generosity money loves to lie in a lot of different ways money has often lied to me in the form of lack that i don't have enough and so therefore my status as a result of my finances means I shouldn't be in certain rooms, I shouldn't be comfortable around certain people until I reach their status. Money is a terrible God. And so when God talks about giving for your own good, He talks about giving so that you experience freedom. Because your giving is not a guarantee for your definition of good, but it is a guarantee that you get God and all of His definition of good. See, we don't have a bunch of stories at our old church of people that are just equally giving, giving and then getting a lot of money in return, some prosperity gospel. But we have a lot of stories of people who gave and their lives were changed, their marriages were transformed, their relationship with their kids was completely renewed. See, God's good is beyond your financial prosperity. It goes into every area of your life. And when you give, you buy into his goodness, and that's the return that you give as well. So God's message of why to give is simple. It's give for your own good, because there's nothing better. Then the question comes, well, what are you supposed to give? And when I ask that question, I'm saying, what are you supposed to give in order to be labeled generous? What does it mean to be generous? So when you look at the most generous cities of America, they actually do a study based upon the amount of giving claimed on tax returns. And the average American household gives two and a half percent of their income, and that is seen as generous. And so, the most generous cities in America come in above that. Any any number guesses of what the most generous cities reach at? Franklin, Tennessee. <laughs> right, the Christian capital of the world. Yeah. What? Five percent? Yeah. Yeah. 4%. Four percent. Four. Four percent. Now, is, is that generous? By comparison, yes. <laughs> Nearly double what the American average gives. But when God calls you to consider what you're supposed to give, He doesn't ask you to give in comparison. He doesn't ask you to think about what is someone's given to that charity, and how do I give more, and therefore I'm more generous. God is way more gracious than that. See, there are two words that God kinda to summarize how God calls you in terms of what to give. It's in proportion and it's by percentage. See, Paul's words to the Corinthian church is that he you are to give in proportion to what you have been given. That if you have exceeding wealth, then you should be known for exceeding generosity. And that's really kind of God. Because He could have given numbers. He's not afraid to give hard numbers in the Old Testament about what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to act. But he's so gracious and loving that he gives these commands based on proportion and percentage because he knows that everyone can participate and everyone can be a part of what it really truly is to be generous. That's why Jesus will highlight the woman who just gives a mite over the one who stands and says, look how much I've given. When he and Jesus know, it's nothing compared to what she's given by proportion and percentage. Now, it's kind, but it's a little bit confusing, right? Because the proportion, the percentage that God could ask for starts at 10% and could be everything, right? Jesus tells the rich young ruler, give it all to the poor and come and follow me. Now, he knows that giving what he has now is nothing compared to what Jesus could give him in the future, But he also says, give to God what is God's, and Caesar what is Caesar. Give what he asks. And so it's kind that he says, do it in proportion to what you've been given. Do it by percentage. But you need to do a discernment process of what proportion and what percentage. Because the other thing about God is he's never stagnant in his requests. He only asks for more, why? Because he wants more of his goodness in your life. He's asking you to grow in generosity. And so as you consider what to give, go through that discernment process. Be willing to wrestle. Be willing to trust that God might give you a number that doesn't make sense because He wants to give you a story that doesn't make sense. And so that's the invitation of giving in proportion and percentage because He's kind, but being willing to consider beyond what you think is generous. The third question is where to give. Where to give? Because if you begin to be generous, people begin to find out. <laughs> and everyone asks you, and you become a new spiritual ATM for every nonprofit and church. Yes. Yes. But in terms of where to give, God ultimately asks that you give to his heart and to trust that he has put a part of his heart in you. See, if you begin to understand that God is giving for your own good, you begin to become more self-aware and more strategic in your generosity. Just to consider what moves your heart. And if it moves your heart, there's a high likelihood that it moves God's. And God's heart is moved by every ask that you get, for sure. But he has people that he's placed that passion and that heart for, and so he needs to awaken those people. And when you step in, you're actually preventing them from having to step up. And you get a chance to become more strategic and to leverage not just a paycheck, but to leverage your life for a cause. And the closer and the more you give to a certain cause, the closer you get to it, the more impact that you see, the more good you see in what God can do. But if you're giving is scattered across tens, 20, 30, 40 organizations, you can't really participate in a way that God is fully asking generosity to be. Because generosity is not just the number you write on that check. It's not just what you ask the donor advised fund to send. It's what you give of yourself. Because God knows that money is a proxy for your life. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if you begin to invest in it, you'll begin to invest all of you. And if you ask any nonprofit, any church, yes, they want your money. (laughs) But they really want you. And they want all that you bring to the table. And so when it comes to where to give, I just want you to consider what has God made you passionate about? And how do you begin to participate in God's heart in that? Because the scriptures are clear that God is looking down from heaven of who will have his heart, who cares what he cares about, who is seeking to do what he's trying to do. And he loves to flood those people with his spirit. He loves to flood those people with passion and resources. When you start to give to his heart, he will give to you so that he gets more back to his heart. So give for your own good. Give what God asks. Give to God's heart. And lastly, how to give. And this is an area that I do want to challenge you, is that you begin to give in community and with community. See, we saw people grow in generosity within our church, not just because they were a part of the church, but because they wrestled openly with the question of what God was asking them to give. Now that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for us to talk numbers and money. It's very difficult, except when you're in Manhattan and they ask you how much you pay in rent because everyone feels (laughs) entitled to that number. Don't ask me. (laughs) I don't like to say it. Part of my soul dies every single time. (laughs) But something happens when you begin to give in community is that the hold that money has on you begins to be freed because what begins to happen is that you begin to become more comfortable dealing with the lies that money tell you and other people can speak truth into your life in addition what happens in community is you begin to be inspired you begin to hear people tell stories that they've decided to reach a certain financial finish line And everything beyond that is given away. Others say, you know, I started at 10%, but I wanted to reverse it. And so I've just chosen to choose the reverse tithe. Those stories need to stop being secrets. See, when Jesus says things like do your giving in secret at times, he's not doing that so that you would just hide your giving. He's doing it so you would stop taking pride in your giving. See, He's not afraid for us to begin to talk about what we're supposed to give away. He's afraid when we attach value to that as if we did it in the first place. Instead of going, God has simply been generous to me. Why would I not turn around and release to Him whatever He asks? See, part of what I have loved about joining Generous Life over these last five months is that I feel like God has shown me that what I saw in a small church in Manhattan is what He wants to do as a movement across the entire body of Christ and what would happen in the hearts of God's people if we released His money back to His heart. And as generous life has existed these last handful of years, we've seen that those who give in community tend to give 30% more than those who give by themselves. They're challenged, they're spurred on, they're inspired. And they begin to trust God at levels that they never have before. So I started today saying, I didn't want to tell you what to think, but I did want to give you a lot to think about. And so just as I talk about giving community, I want you to process this in community. And so you're all sitting around tables and I just want to give you two questions to consider with those at your table. First question is, what lies has money told you? It could be in the past, so you feel a little bit comfortable not to be vulnerable. It could be the lie that money is telling you right now. And I just want to invite you to be open with those around the table. And secondly, how can generosity, how can giving, defeat those lies? What lies does money tell me? And if I begin to be generous, how can generosity begin to defeat those lies in my life? Sound good? All right. Go ahead and talk through those things, and then we'll have some A.